Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hey there, moms. Rachel Carmen here. I'm so excited to be with you today, and I really do wish that you could see the pile of books in front of me. I am surrounded by my beloved Bible that is all marked up. I have a copy of the passage we're going to look at today. I have my notebook with all of my notes that is highlighted in tons of arrows and numbers, and I have a study Bible. And yeah, I... I hardly know where to start. I am so excited about the passage the passage we're going to do today. We are doing our December M&M, the passage that I've chosen for us to focus on this month to marinate in, to memorize, to meditate on, to really dare to dig into. And I'm just going to tell you at the outset of our time today, there is no way that we can cover all of the good stuff in this passage today. So I'm going to hope to do sort of what I really want to do every time we do this is I really want for you to want to get into God's Word. I'm going to tell you at the outset, I am not trying to get everything out that I can. It's just not possible within the time constraints that we have. And I really just want this to be sort of a really great teaser for you, like an appetizer, like a bite of something that you want more of. I want you to not be able to open your Bible fast enough to get in the Word and study for yourself. I want you to be excited. I have been blessed over the years to sit under some remarkable Bible teachers, and I'm so grateful for the way that they poured into my life, but that is one of the things that they did that was a true blessing to me. They didn't answer all my questions. They didn't go into every single detail or cover every single point. They did enough to ignite in me a desire to study for myself. And that's my objective with you. Maybe you've not had the blessing of being under really excellent, enthusiastic, passionate people and teachers of God's Word. And so perhaps God can use me in that capacity in your life, and you will just get on fire for the things of God. That would be incredible. Because this is what I know. I know moms, many moms, want their kids to know God and to love Jesus and to walk in the Holy Spirit and to seek and honor Him in word and deed, and they want that so desperately. But here's the deal. Our kids get that from us, moms. That passion that we want them to have, it begins with us, and we cannot give what we do not have. And so... If that is something that you really long for for your children, a growing, abiding, deepening relationship with God and His Word, then let's start doing that ourselves as moms. Because as we're passionate about it, as we're excited about it, our kids are going to be more likely to catch that passion. 
Um, my kids are all older now, and it's a fascinating place to be, right? And I love it because my kids now know, I know, Mom, you're going to say Jesus. Well, guilty. Yes, you had a problem. God's Word is the answer. And so I love that my kids know that. That doesn't mean that that's a trite answer. It means that it is the answer, capital A, but it also is a gateway to further um, discussion and And I'm so grateful to be able to have that with my kids. So I want to challenge you, Mom, to get in the Word. And I hope that maybe we can start that even just today. So our passage for this month is John 14. I know. That is a huge chunk of Scripture for us to choose. I, again, will encourage you to find a way to print out this passage. I like to use BibleGateway.com and choose the passage in the translation of the Bible that I want to study, and then I print it out, and then I mark it all up, because I find that marking it all up just helps me to see what's there at a different level. And I also mark in my Bible, but I like to mark it in both places because apparently for me, the more I can mark it up, the more I can see, and I have to do it more than once. So we're going to sort of drill down without going into all of the details of this Gospel of John. Let me just tell you a few things because I need to set up chapter 14 before we drill down into 14. So in short... There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three are considered synoptic. They go together. They um, A lot of the stories that are in each one of those are in all three of them. John is distinctively different. John is written more thematically, more reflectively around seven signs and seven statements of I am. And 93% of the book of John is unique, different from the other three Gospels. The author of John is, in fact, the beloved disciple, John. And so there's a lot to glean from his Gospel because it is so different. I love to study the Matthew, Mark, and Luke side by side and do a compare and contrast and learn because you can. they all complement each other and you learn different things from their different perspectives on the same story. And I love that because all three of them were writing for different audiences. John is completely different. And it's remarkable when you come and study the book of John. And if you haven't, I would challenge you to take it upon yourself just to read a chapter of John a day, right? And when you study John, you're going to come across all of these different stories that are not in the other Gospels. And you're going to think, wait, what? Why didn't Matthew, Mark, and Luke include this story? But you know what? They didn't. And all four of them were inspired of the Holy Spirit. And so this is as it ought be, but it does offer a very unique look into the life and the times of Christ when you study the book of John. So I really want to challenge you to do that. Take some time to read just a chapter a day and drill down, but we are picking up for our purposes today in John 14. Now, having said that, John's chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are referred to as the Upper Room Discourse. This is this long sermon interaction, very intimate with Jesus 
and 11 of the 12 disciples. It's only 11 because when we back up into chapter 13, which we're going to need to do just briefly to set a really good setting for our study today, we go back to chapter 13, and it is in chapter 13 that sets up the discourse. So in chapter 13, Jesus is facing his last Passover with his disciples, all 12 of them, right? And so they have the Passover feast in the beginning of chapter 13, and he knows this is the last one. And in fact, it's in the first few verses, let's see, it's verse 1 through 4, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Do this in memory of me, where he breaks the bread and he gives them the wine. He says, behold, my body and my blood, do this in remembrance of me, right? That's John 13, 1 through 4, and you have that in the other three Gospels as well. But then there is something that John includes next that is not in the other three Gospels, remarkably. And that is John tells about Jesus humbling himself and washing the disciples' feet. The other three Gospels do not contain this story. And so this is a remarkable insight to who Jesus is. We know, we know as readers today, this is just a matter of hours before Jesus humbles himself on death on Calvary's cross. Just a few hours before, he humbles himself in front of all 12 of the disciples and washes their feet remarkable. This would have been a job that would have been reserved for the lowest servant present. Jesus could have asked one of the other disciples to do it or a servant that was there to do it, and he didn't. He took it upon himself to do this, and in so doing, illustrated how he goes on in the Upper Room Discourse to tell his disciples how they are to love and serve each other. It's remarkable. Make sure you take some time to read about that, and especially the interaction that we see during the washing of the disciples' feet between Peter, not shocking, and the Lord Christ. It's a great interaction. But after he has washed their feet, picking up in verse 12 of chapter 13, he goes on to predict that he is going to be betrayed. I'm sorry, this is down in verse 21, that one of them is going to betray. Something that you is worth catching at this point. Jesus, when he washes the disciples' feet, he washes all 12 disciples' feet, including Judas. And Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And picking up again in verse 21, he says, one of you will betray me. So Judas is sitting there with clean feet. He's already conspired with the leaders against Christ. They've already measured out the 30 pieces of silver to him. And Jesus is saying, one of you is going to betray me. And he says, there's going to be this signal. I'm going to dip in this cup and it will be that one. And then Judas actually leaves. And Jesus says, what you have to do, do quickly. So Judas leaves. Now it is Jesus with just the 11. Judas is gone. The betrayer is gone. And Jesus, picking up in verse 31 of chapter 13, Jesus says this, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. This is Jesus now really having this intimate moment with his disciples. And now he's going to take these next four chapters of the book of John, the gospel of John, to speak and teach them things that he knows they need to know before he goes, right? And one of the really interesting things about chapter 14, the end of 13 and into 14, is we see some very specific interactions between Jesus and four of the disciples, So one is with Peter. He's already had an interaction with Peter during the foot washing, right? Then he has the interaction with Judas when Judas leaves. But then Peter comes back in and has an interaction at the very end of chapter 13. And then in chapter 14, we see Jesus interact additionally with Thomas, Philip, and Thaddeus. And their questions are what I really want to look like look at during our time together today because I think they're questions that you and I have and Jesus Christ meets them exactly where they are. So looking now at chapter 13, verse 36, Jesus has said, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. Where I am going, you cannot come, he says. In 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. Now, this is, this is key, right? Mom, how you and I love our husbands, how we love our children, how we love each other as friends is an indication that we are His. By our love for one another, they will know that we are His. Then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Mm, Truly, truly, I say to you, A rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Wow. So here's Jesus saying, I'm going to go away. I'm only going to be here a little bit longer. I'm not going to be here much longer, and I want you to remember to love each other. I just washed your feet. Did you see that? You need to love each other. I'm going to go away. And Peter's like, where are you going? And Jesus is like, you you can't come right now. And Peter's like, but I want to come right now. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus goes, mm, you're, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. So that's the first interaction. And I'm just going to say that very often you and I are so gung-ho and so enthusiastic about doing whatever God asks us to do, right? Until it comes time to do it. It is so easy for us to be critical of Peter's denial. And yet, I know that I deny Christ. You deny Christ. We deny Christ when we're not kind to one another, when we're not compassionate towards others, when we don't love each other, when we take credit that we're not due, when we don't extend the love of Christ to others. We deny Him. We deny His strength and our weakness. We deny Him. 
And we need to remember that we have an opportunity to serve and follow hard after him. Here then, we pick up in chapter 14, our focus chapter for our study. In verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. Then we have disciple number two. Thomas speaks up. And basically, Thomas says, I'm, I'm confused. Where are you going? And, and how do we get there? Right? See, it's, again, so easy for us to be critical of these disciples because you would think you and I have the benefit of having the written word of God. We have the benefit of knowing what, what Jesus is about to do, but it wasn't clear to them. Yes, he had predicted his death on more than one occasion, but it wasn't clear to them. And so he's talking now about going away, and they don't understand where he's going. Where are you going, Thomas says, and how do we get there? And this, Jesus says, is one of his seven I am statements. It's actually number six in the book of John. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus here is endeavoring through this entire passage, 14, 15, 16, 17, to make it more and more clear. And yet we know that it's going to be the most clear upon his resurrection. That's when it's really all going to come back. But he's doing preliminary teaching now. He's laying the foundation now. And throughout the rest of this chapter, what we see is this pattern of Jesus making promises to them and assuring them. He makes a promise and he assures them. He makes a promise and he assures them. And I want to challenge you, as you study this passage on your own, make a list of the promises that Jesus makes, and make a list of the assurances Jesus makes, because they complement each other, right? Jesus said, I've already shown you a couple of them. He says already, I am going to prepare a place for you. That's a promise. But he also said, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't panic. Don't panic. This is going to look like it's out of control. Jesus is basically saying, this is going to look like everything's fallen apart and every possible thing has gone wrong. Don't panic. Don't let your hearts panic. Don't be troubled. Don't, because I'm going and I'm going to do something amazing for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you with the Father and I'm going to come back. Do you hear the assurance? Do you hear the promises working together in that? Well, then we have our third disciples question in Philip. Philip says in chapter 14, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. So here's Peter has said, no, I'm going to go with you. And Jesus goes, "Mm, you're going to deny me. Then Thomas says, where are you going and how do we get there? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now Philip says, So, Jesus, would you just show us the Father? And that's really all we need. Just show us the Father. And then Jesus is like, oh, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here, for the next several verses, Jesus reiterates the unity between the Father and the Son. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. 
right? This is the point that he really wants to make to these disciples. I and the Father am one. This is critical. This is all important. There's a oneness theme here that you can trace when you're doing your study in verses 8 through, let's see, 10. There's this oneness. Jesus goes on and on about he and the Father are one. He says in verse 11, The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe the works themselves. So Jesus extends to the disciples, look, believe that the Father and I are one and believe the works that you've seen. Like, don't forget what you've seen and what you've heard. Then in verse 15, and this this is a key passage that is literally one of those predominant threads that runs throughout the biblical narrative. This is a non-negotiable. We have it throughout the Bible. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. In other words, the keeping of the commandments of God is indicative of one who loves God. You cannot say that you love God and refuse to keep his commandments or rebel against his law. It's, it's just not possible. It's just not possible. And he reminds them of this. And I will suggest to you strongly that this is indeed the way to peace. This is the way to peace. is trusting and obeying the commandments of God. Then we get over to the fourth disciple. And this is Thaddeus. And it's... He's also referred to maybe in one of your translations as Judas, but it's not Iscariot. So more often, his name is translated as Thaddeus. In verse 22, he says, Lord, what has happened that you're going to disclose yourself just to us and not the world? In other words, he says, I'm a little confused. Who am I? that you would show me these things? Who, who are we that you would just show us and not the whole world? To me in this, I see a great deal of humility on the part of Thaddeus. It seems that he's overcome with this extension, with this understanding, with this knowledge that Jesus is so beautifully outlaying in front of them. Jesus then picking up in verse 26 says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, while I'm with you. But, he says, here's a promise. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, Thaddeus I've said a lot to you. I've taught you a lot. You've seen a lot. And I just want you to know that the Helper's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come. The Father's going to send him in my name. And he's going to help you remember all of this. So you don't have to worry. He's going to help you remember. And then here's the key verse that I really want us to focus on for the rest of our time. Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you? So here in this moment, remember this whole chapter begins with Jesus saying, do not let your hearts be troubled, right? 
In other words, some some things are going to go down. Some things are going to happen in just a few hours, and it's going to feel like everything's coming apart. And Jesus, before it happens, is saying, peace. I'm giving you peace. Before anything happens, before the bottom falls out here, I just want you to know I'm giving you my peace. And not as the world gives, I'm giving you the real thing, the real thing. So what is this peace that Jesus is promising to give them? This is a peace with God, an assurance, a confidence that Jesus Christ himself is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer to the chaos, to the disorder. He is the answer to the confusion, the deception of the world. He is the answer to the crazy disconnectedness that we all sense, even in our moment now and today. Christ alone. Christ alone. Jesus acknowledges here that the peace that the world offers is empty. It it can't do it. Because the peace that we all need, the peace that we all long for, is a return to our relationship with God, a rightness before God. Christ offers us a way back to a relationship with God. We deserve His wrath based on our sinfulness. And Jesus made a way through the cross of Calvary that we could have peace with God. Peace with God. That is what Jesus came to give us. You'll remember this time of year, Isaiah 9, 6, that says, He will be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is the bringer of peace. He is the one that completes us, that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father, a reconciled, restored relationship with our heavenly Father. And that is the peace that the Apostle Paul writes about in Philippians. It's a peace that transcends all understanding. It transcends the chaos and the confusion and the crazy. It's also the same peace that Paul writes about to Galatian when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all together make up the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Peace is part of that. Part of that fruit is this peace that transcends understanding. That means we have a right standing with God Almighty. I'm reminded of several different of my favorite hymns along this theme of peace. There's one entitled, Peace, Perfect Peace. In this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. When we know who Jesus is and what he did and that he made a way, we can have that peace in this dark world. Or another one is entitled, Like a River Glorious, Is God's Perfect Peace Over All Victorious in Its Bright Increase. Perfect, yet it floweth, fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. And another one that is probably really familiar to all of you is the one 
When peace like a river attendeth my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well. We can know a peace that transcends our situation and our circumstance and this moment when everything feels like it is just spinning completely out of control. That is the peace that only God can give us through the person of Jesus Christ. Moms, as we celebrate this season and the advent of our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Peace, may we dare to take hold of the peace that He alone offers and share it generously with all of us, all of those around us. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. This, this is my skyship, Dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination, dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.